Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, however, wherever, whenever you're listening. This is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 39, coming at you from the Riverwood Gallery and Mean Your True Value Studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm the host and producer, Eric Fisher. Also with me this week, making his long-awaited return, Justin Dahl. Justin, how you doing, buddy? Man, I'm, I'm so good. I'm so excited to be back. Uh, I don't know how long this is going to be, but, you know, just a busy schedule. Uh, with football ramping up, we're in the heart of the season. Hasn't been very a very good start for us, Big E. As you as you've been a big uh, a big part of the program, uh, we thank you very much for your time and and your generosity towards that and, and taking away from some some special people in your life. So uh, I, I truly do appreciate appreciate the uh, the effort that you and Ramsey are are making towards uh, my football program and how how we're trying to build it. Uh, it's been a rocky road. Uh, the as I've been was telling you earlier, the road got a little bit rockier. We're hoping we're t- going to avoid some stuff here, but it sounds like we might not have a game this Friday. Um, just just that nasty COVID is, has reared its ugly head and, and made its way towards uh, my football team. But uh, hopefully, we get some good film session in and stuff on that and and turn around uh, and, and play a good, a couple good teams um, coming up here. Uh, the first two were, you know, state ranked teams that, you know, we're just a little too young to, to kind of compete. And, and, but, you know, some senior leadership on the side is, has really uh, helped and, and how to, how to take those lumps and then come back the next day. And, and uh, you know, how to handle your business and is what it is and handle your business and come out of it a better player. So uh, that's kind of what it was. Uh, I'll give myself a, a, a props. Uh, took the, took the fan bam down to uh, mall of America this weekend. Uh, that was pretty fun. So it was a good labor day weekend. And, and tonight I'd like to give a shout out to my wife as it's our second anniversary of being wedded. So that's pretty cool. Uh, lover uh, did a nice little surprise that uh, was we we we've got something a little better planned for the weekend. She's uh, she's coaching the JV volleyball game tonight. So happy anniversary to us. This is just our life right now. So, um, but yeah, been pretty good. I've missed you guys. I've I've missed all of our fans. Um, I pretty much dominated the fantasy football draft last night, so that was pretty cool. And I only drafted half the half the round. So well, you know, Justin, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you ended up. It, it looked pretty ugly from what I saw. But. Well, Justin, I'm I'm glad you bring all this all this up. So first, I did want to start off by saying happy anniversary to you and Katie. Uh, you know, I saw your Facebook post. You guys are adorable. Um, fun stuff with that. As for the football program, uh, that the real life football program that you're building, uh, it's been a pleasure and a treasure to be a part of. Um, you know, kind of giving, finally being able to give back to my community and a program that shaped me as a young man. Uh, so it's been just all smiles, even through the the rocky roads here that we're facing as a, as an organization. But um, you know, I was telling Ramsey, I was like, you know, I never really saw him after senior year because we graduated your first year uh, in Jill as a girls basketball coach. Only got to mm-hmm. see him actually coach really for one year. But man, there's something here. Like the the dude knows how to get the best out of his players. Um, and what you continue to do. So hats off to you on that front. As for the fantasy football uh, aspect of it, we have our, our listener league. Uh, we did get seven listeners. 
uh, besides the three of us on the show, to participate in the, the Fantasy Football League. And, you know, Justin, you, you say that I had a rough draft or you're giving me some sort of grief for a rough draft. According to the ESPN experts who compile the drafts and the rosters and stuff, I came away with the second best roster of the draft. Uh, my projected future standings is second. So, you know, I know it comes down to actually playing who, and being on the field. But Who was first? I believe it was Tony, uh, one of the guys who are playing from out of state. Tony, Tony, he's from, he's not even a Wisconsin guy. He's, oh, we get. he's a loyal listener from out of state, and he has become a Wisconsin sports aficionado, aficionado. due to our show. All right. So, uh, yeah, well, Tony, Tony. I thank you. I thank you for listening. But you are not going to have the best team in our league this year. That is definitely going to be me. I, I can't believe I stole Lamar Jackson so late in, in this in this whole thing. Like, it, I'm, not, I'm not gonna lie, Eric. I looked at your roster, it's pretty impressive. You got an impressive roster. I don't know if it's championship worthy like mine, but I know who has a really bad roster, and that's one Ramsey Thompson. The lot of fan club. One ben. He has he has a bad roster. He's gotta start making some trades. He he's gotta he's gotta get on that waiver wire. And we ain't even locked into a Thursday night football game yet. The kickoff of the season, and that's how bad his roster is. He's really got to kick it off. Here. You know who had a very surprisingly good draft, um, and I say surprisingly because it was their first year ever playing fantasy football, would be one Miss Shauna Halbach. Uh, I knew you were going to say I, I was pretty impressed. I thought, you know, I was looking back at it, and I thought, man, she might be drafting some defenses and in, in, in a kicker a little too early in this game. But it turned out she had a little game plan, and Good for her. I'm I'm happy for her, and uh, I'll be. I don't know when I play her head to head in our in our little league here, but I'll be happy to uh, kind of show her what it's like to be a a fantasy footballer. <laughs> and, you know, kind of take. I won't take it easy on her. I won't put in all the subs. I'll put in some of the subs. <laughs> all right. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> so before we get in the nature, the meat and potatoes of our episode. Got to get to our wonderful friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. And Justin, you know, tough break for the Badgers week one. Uh, we'll get to that more in the episode. However, oh, however, if you played along with the contest, there was one home run contest you could play. I bought in for $2, so not a really huge buy, and it was a three-time multiplier prize. It was Shea Malusi over 70.5 yards rushing. And the running back from yeah. Penn State under 60.5. That one came away a winner. So yeah. plenty of ways to earn your keep on Monkey Knife. But even when the teams aren't doing so great, you can do great as well. Uh, also, our friends over at Ray's Energy, they have a new flavor that just dropped about a week and a half ago. It was the white peach flavor. Uh, really excited to get my shipment in. You can get a free four-pack. All you got to do is pay shipping and handling. Get a try of the Ray's Energy Lifestyle. Um, as we talked about last week, I mean, you can really, you can take that, you can drink that, and really go on just a 24-plus hour, just go for it, no crash, uh, scientifically, Binge. Erically proven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are results that prove to this. Um, yes. yes. And like I said, get a try of it free. If you like what you try, code ROOT4 on repsports.com, code ROOT, R-O-O-T, number four, for 15% off any order that you place on repsports.com for Ray's Energy. So that's what's got going on over there. 
Also, just kind of talking about our friends, and, and before we get too far in the episode here, we've got to talk about what went right in the state of Wisconsin and in our sports world here with our What We Had Rooted For, sponsored by Fanatics. Fanatics has over 300-plus powered stores, so you can get your team gear there, whether it be Packers season coming up, you need to get some new Packers gear, jerseys, T-shirts, hats, you name it, it's there. T-shirts, sweatshirts. Pants, whatever. Packers. If it's got a Packer logo on it, you can probably find it there. Fanatics.com. Yeah. Hashtag love on. Show your love for your team. Also, knock on wood here. You know, the magic number down to 14. Talk about this a little bit later in the episode as well. Milwaukee Brewers playoff gear is going to be coming soon here too. Knock on wood. So, you know, make sure you go check that out before it's all gone. With that, what we had rooted for. And Justin, I'll let you kick off uh, since you've been kind of away for a little while. What did you root for the last week or two here? I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on Ramsey's bandwagon here, and that Darlington race was absolutely phenomenal. I think the best part about it was is that you've had uh, pretty much the top two dogs in the whole entire field all year long, and Denny Hamlin and and Kyle Larson, and Larson comes out on top ninety percent of the actually a hundred percent of the time Up so to this far point. this year. Yeah, up to this point, and now Denny Hamlin turns the tide. But how can you not love the way Kyle Larson raced in, in that last lap? It really, in his quote, said, I video gamed it there. <laughs> and he just, he sailed it into the corner, and he he kept his foot into the gas, and he rolled the wall all the way through. And Denny Hamlin, being the professional that he was, gave him somewhat of a window, and and, and did it fairly. I thought the ending of that race was so fitting. Uh, it, it was such a great race. And how many of the playoff drivers had so much trouble within within that uh, one race and really changed kind of what the, the playoff format looks like going forward. So I thought the, the Darlington race, it was lights out. It was a great race for NASCAR to kick off the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to echo your sentiment there. Um, just some real, true, old-school racing. You don't see a whole lot of that, you know, that what Kyle Larson did. If you have a chance, uh, you might want to go check it out, YouTube. Um, NASCAR and Fox, you know, even though race was on NBC, NASCAR and Fox has incredible NASCAR coverage on YouTube and Facebook. So if you're a social media-type person, you want to go check out the ending. If you haven't seen it already, just incredible stuff. Um, what I'm going to say I rooted for, and... I have traditionally, in, in, in my younger years, everyone really, you know, you either love or hate Notre Dame. For a long time in my lifetime, I was always pro-Notre Dame, and, and ultimately still am. That said, Sunday night, with the world watching on ESPN, or on, actually on ABC, I became probably one of the bigger Florida State fans. And really, and I know we talk about this later um, in the episode two, but... Mackenzie Milton doing what he did. Um, you know, yeah. you look at where he's come from, where the doctor said it would be a miracle if he walked yeah. again, let alone uh, played football. It was never heard of, is what the doctor said. Is I've never heard of someone doing this, um, is what and his how, surgeon had said. But And how about Norvell just going in there with the confidence? You know, Scott Scott loses the helmet, so he comes off the off the field, and, and Milton comes in cold as cold, and but Norvell has the confidence in Milton and he thre- and he and he threads the needle on a on a on a corner post p- pattern uh to a receiver about 18 20 yards down the field and he just nails it like 
just cold within a within a whole play clock. There's not really anything, you know, didn't call timeout or anything. It was all within flow. And just what a great call. What I mean, what what fluidity and, and professionalism all the way around. I thought it was amazing. It's an amazing story. Mackenzie um, Milton in in 2018, remember now, was uh, he finished sixth in the Heisman uh, standings for the national so champion might, UCF Knights. Yes, he might have a chance at uh, unseating Scott there as as the starter. Yeah, and and just to kind of go into it further, like I said, they kept showing his mom up in the stands, and just really too bad that, uh, as a team, Florida State couldn't get that win. I know, like I said, I know. Even if you were a, a Notre Dame fan, I feel like a lot of people kind of became, at, least, at the very least, Mackenzie Milton fans uh, just to see and yeah. kind of wanted him to finish that game out and, and with a win. Uh, brought, brought it back down from what was down 17. Uh, brought it to yeah. a tie game. Uh, coach, um, what the heck's his name? Mike Florida State Norvell. coach, thank you. Norvell decided to accidentally ice his own kicker, try to challenge it for better field position. Uh, kicker Which was the right call. Right. It was absolutely the right call. Makes a you, fifth. you feel for the guy. You feel for the coach because it's the right call. Makes the kick easier. Puts him on a better angle. Just tough. Just tough. Yeah, missed a 50 or makes a 50-yard kick. They go back, challenge the spot to see if it was an, a fumble or an incomplete pass. Gets ruled an incomplete pass. So it goes from a 50-yard kick to what, a 32-yard kick, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Um, and then he just misses it to the left. So, and then Notre Dame takes over and and sinks their field goal to to win the game. Which, by the way, shout out to college overtime for just doing it absolutely right. I and mean, that's the way the NFL really should do it. Maybe back it up to the forty, but either way, that's I I'm a big fan of the single set like that uh, for overtime. So that's what I yeah. had rooted for. I know you know Justin took the NASCAR route here. I know Ramsey probably would be talking about NASCAR here as well. Uh, like I said, he had some some scheduling conflicts, as you'll kind of find out through the episode here. Not an easy week for us to schedule with the holiday weekend and yeah, everything tough. else going on. But that's the way it goes, and we're here for it. So with that, we go from the positives to the negatives to the Tyler Hero Noogie of the Week. Um, I've got a couple here to go, Justin, so I want to start off, um, if you don't mind. Go for it. First, once again, I know Justin had sent this to us in the, in our little group chat. We have on tw- Actually, we have a second one on Twitter. Tyler Hero, living up to his own namesake here on the award. Um, just posting, terrible picture. Posting a, 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 a selfie of himself or a picture of himself that he thought was all sorts of good looking. And just, oh, my God, what a tool. Uh, so, it's terrible. Yeah, it's, when, I, when I sent that to you, I said, oh, man, these guys are going to rip this, this, this phony so bad. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, oh, my God. He's got to have people around him. That that need to tell him that you you ain't what you're perceiving. Yeah, you are not you are not the you are not putting out what you're outputting. Right, you are you're a you're a glorified individual. role player who had one good bubble postseason and right. even faded away into that. And uh, you are not LeBron. You are not top of the NBA, you're not even top probably 30 in the NBA. Not even oh, that's probably the second or third best player on your own team. So just just bad look for Mr. Hero, Wisconsin's very own, who yeah. receives his third Tyler Hero Dunk of the Week award. 
uh, through different points of the show. But also, on a, on a different note, my, my, other, my actual nugget of the week, if you will, I'm going to go with ESPN. And oh. I'm going to take a different route than everybody is putting on this. So Bishop Sycamore, the online charter school that's technically out yeah. of Texas, that played a game against IMG Academy, one of the top schools in the nation in high school, uh, sports world. Bishop Sycamore was able to con their way into a nationally televised game, and it was a brutal, brutal beatdown. 58 to nothing uh, was the end score of that game. And it be- it was so apparent early on that there was such a disparity. And Bishop Sycamore, the the kind of the unraveling, and this actually kind of started as we were finishing recording our episode last week. Um, but so we had a little bit of time to kind of watch what everything unraveled here. So first of all, this is a school that has only been playing football for two years. They had a number of JUCO dropouts, so guys who already played high school football, so they're in their late teens, early 20s, playing on their quote-unquote high school roster. They fooled the whole world by saying, oh, yeah, we have multiple Division I top recruits, which no one decided that they could confirm, but they still put them on the schedule. Uh, they decide also for the, the, you know, the kids who are you know, of high school age, they were playing on two days rest. They had played Friday night and then played on Sunday night again, which if anyone who's ever played the, any sport really, but especially the game of football, you can't, it's just not doable. You cannot play on that short of, a, or, of, short of rest. So it became a safety issue. The head coach of Bishop Sycamore had a, an active arrest warrant out there. Um, and like I said, a school that no one's heard of. So it'd be easy to bury Bishop Sycamore. It'd be so easy, and and everyone in the country is, is taking their shots to do so. I'm going to blame ESPN and their production company who did virtually no research to confirm any of these reports and put them in the game against IMG. So yeah, What a joke. Like what, what an absolute joke. Like, there are people that lose their jobs over something so bad. This is such a bad look for ESPN and, and the great the, the typically great coverage that they have for high school sports, when you do something this bad that is egregiously bad as this, there, there are people that lose jobs over that. Mm-hmm. And as there should be. Um, I know that at one point in the broadcast they had talked about you know being a safety issue. Well, it, it really wasn't, though, because, like I said, you had guys who were – I mean, granted, again, the whole – element of playing on short rest for the guys who played, but also just like I said, the the fact that there were so many like twenty year olds and you know, twenty one, twenty two year olds playing in the game. I mean, really, IMG Academy, if they weren't so loaded and, and stacked full of talent, I'd be more worried about them, just the age disparity, but it wasn't even an issue. So yeah, glad everyone came tough. out healthy that's of that, tough. but that's not even a high school though. That's a that's a that's a school that's you know kind of better than a JUCO college and these academies. That's I'm not with all that. You know I think that's kind of silly stuff. But whatever, it is what it is, right? So, uh, is that your last noogie? That there? that's or the two that having... I had this week. I mean I know it'd be easy to go in on the badges, but we're gonna do that in a few moments. So I'm gonna kind of yeah. leave that to yeah. that conversation. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in hardcore. 
on the Badgers. I'm ju- I'm jumping in on the play calling. Uh, unfortunately, I was not able to watch the game as we were making our way Saturday morning to Mall of America, but I did get to listen the whole way. And uh, first, uh, I, I think one of the sentiments that we ended the season on last season was the play calling and how bad Joe Ruoff was. Well, Paul Chris takes the calls back and, and uh, proves that it's just as bad. Um, you know, completely predictable. Uh, not very many first down passing opportunities that he took. Uh, not really getting Graham Mertz in a flow. Um, and then I'm going to go Joe Rudolph with with this this offensive line setup that the, this kind of hockey line change um, lineup that he went with in the beginning that really never gave them fluidity. Um, I thought, you know, we had talked about this earlier. Uh, I thought that with all the coaching changes, um, specifically defense, that they could struggle um, coming right out of the gates and Penn State's a tough, a tough grab. Um, you know, they're, they're perennially a top 10 program, uh, top 15 for sure in, in the nation. And so to play that to play that coming out right away was tough, but they were definitely good enough to win it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the thing. So uh, my my two noogies are Rudolph and, and Chris. It's just those guys are have to be better. And I uh, I'll be honest, I haven't been a fan of Joe Rudolph for at least three years now. So uh, yeah, and and with that we can his jump. head's got to be close to a chopping block. Right. And, and I mean, with that, why, why don't we just jump right into the uh, the Badger report here, going back to school with Justin on the Badger report. But yeah, yeah just not a good, I mean, it, it's so easy. I mean, really, I mean, there's so many different ways you can blame. I mean, Graham Mertz did not live up to the hype, in this, at least in this week's game. I'm not going to bury the guy yet. I mean, we have about a full season of him. Um, he's had two very, very good games. He's had uh, probably about two or three pretty decent slash good games. And then now a handful of games that were less than desirable. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of, you know, finding inconsistency in it, you know, this guy, you know, it's kind of the nature of the beast, you know, college, you go from being in, and granted, you know, he did play in all these all-star showcases and whatnot, but you go from being the top dog and being the best really in your state, even, um, one of the best of your class to then start playing with, you know, guys who are bigger, faster, stronger in, in some cases and and uh, just as talented, if not more talented than you to get, you know, when you get to the college level and same thing with the jump from college to the NFL. But as a whole, like I said, just it just really struggled, really couldn't find that rhythm. I mean, the numbers, I think, were not indicative of how bad he struggled at times in that game. Whether it was missing simple reads that, you know, it only goes as one incompletion or one interception, but uh, the stat, just like I said, just not a great game. Also, the play calling, you know, just to kind of go back and double down on this, I'm really shocked of why, I mean, you had a guy in Shane Lucy who racked up, what, 117 rushing yards, and you just didn't continue to ride the hot hand. You you know, you kept trying to force in Guinandero. You didn't really go Jalen Berger, I think, at all. I don't think he played a snap on Saturday. So you you kind of don't ride the hot hand. You know, Wisconsin as a whole, the last what, ten years really, has been kind of known for for pre snap motion and pre snap movement and 
and throwing off defense as well. Penn State, they didn't do any of that. And they just allowed Penn State to come downhill at them the entire game. And and like you said, there was no fluidity. There was no, you know, transition really. It was just Penn State pinned the ears back and came in, you know, guns blazing, seven, eight in the box almost every play, it seemed like. And and really, I mean, aside from the Malusi game, really kind of limited what Wisconsin could do offensively and then just defensively. The team got gassed. I mean, that's that's really the only way. I mean, first half they played so well and and really should have been up probably at halftime fourteen nothing, if not, you know, seventeen nothing at that yeah. point and just just yeah. let it kind of get away from them and kind of one of those typical Wisconsin games that usually you see it towards the end of the year, not start off the year, but here it is. And have you know, nothing against Penn State, because Penn State's an incredible team. They really, you know, they were ranked nineteen in the country. They kind of actually ended up swapping with the Badgers from where they were. Uh, so still, I mean, still a good Badgers team, but a lot of things to figure out from where we thought they were to where they are now. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to jump in and tell you that uh, if we look at it right now, there's no way that Graham Mertz has lived up to the hype. Like, you know, when you come in and you're rated a top five quarterback in the nation, you're an elite 11 quarterback, you, you're turning down offers from all the major schools and you come to Wisconsin and and you're graced as, you know, the next saving person, the next Russell Wilson, the next the next guy that's going to put us over the top. You have not lived up to that. He has not he has not lived up to that uh 100%. Uh Joe Rudolph, uh, you know, he, he's got to find a solid five and he's got to make a decision and and just live with it and and I don't care about whether guys deserve a shot at it or not. If they didn't win the job outright, they didn't win the job. That's the bottom line. This is major college sports. There's a lot of money on the line. There's a huge recruiting budget for Badger football. And 90% of our sports rely on football and our success. So whether you think that, you know, our seventh and eighth guy on the line deserve a shot, their time will come. We don't need to force that. We need to find the best five guys and play them right away. And you're forcing it. And, you're, and those are terrible decisions. Uh, from what it sounded like, the defense was really good, except for the, the real long play to Dodson uh, to start the second half. Uh, the, the bomb, I think it was like 46 yards or 49 yards mm-hmm. uh, past a Clifford from Clifford. But other than that, really solid. Sound like Sanborn played a huge, huge game. Uh, you know, when you play without Leo Chanel, that's a huge loss and, and they played good enough to win. You can't get to the red zone as many times as they did and not come away with points mm-hmm. uh, the way that they did. That That's the recipe for for uh, losing. And another, another stat, Wisconsin, 43 minutes, almost 43 minutes of possession. And Penn State, 17 minutes mm-hmm. of possession. You have to win a game like that. The, you know, you dominated the game in time of possession. There's only one way you you lose a game like that, and that is turnovers. Mm-hmm. Pure and simple, that is turnovers. You can't lose turnover battles when you're playing what is potentially a top 10 game. This game could have really set you into motion for something special. And, and to go into a game like this, and not have solid five in the front to, to not get Graham Hertz in a flow on easy passes and getting them outside of the pocket and, and trying to get them 
uh, just some easy looks to solely focus on getting Jake Ferguson the ball when you have two great receivers on the outside. It's just, it's bad play calling. It's, it's bad personnel calling offensively that they are far better at their depth and their star talent is far better at. So the coaching has to get drastically better, just drastically better. And, and those two guys specifically, Chris and specifically Rudolph have to look in the mirror and they have to tell themselves, we have to get better because the way we coach this game, if we want to win against Notre Dame, if we want to play against Iowa and win that game, if we want to beat Minnesota, who looked really good against Ohio State, and then play Ohio State for the for the Big Ten Championship, if we want to win those games, we have to get drastically better, not anybody else. Yeah, definitely. I mean, should, you know, knock on wood here, I don't want to jinx it, but it should be a pretty – Solid bounce back opportunity playing Eastern Michigan this weekend. Um, so hopefully right. specifically can... these, these are the weeks where you give that a shot and you try it out for, for Notre Dame mm-hmm. and who, who might be better options at the line or, or who, who might be your best slot guy. You don't do that against Penn state. Who's a top 20 ranked team. You just don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's playing with fire and you got burnt and you deserved it. They flat out deserved it. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see what happens this weekend. Uh, next to what's brewing with Eric and Justin, I'm going to play a little audio here. This courtesy of Valley Sports Wisconsin. Runs at first, the pitch. Swing and fly. So that is the call of the walk-off grand slam from Sunday from Daniel Vogelbach, who has been on part of the roster expansion, uh, got back healthy over the course of the last couple months, and your or our Milwaukee Brewers are 11 games up on the Reds, have a magic number of 14, and really knocking on the door of a ML, you know, an NL Central division crown, and. Really, like I said, just really, you know, I've said it all year, really seeing how special this this group can be. I mean, kind of catching a few breaks here and there. You know, you get a walk-off grand slam. There's a little bit of luck involved. But, um, you know, a lot of the positives here that aren't lucky, in the month of, of August, Christian Yelch hitting 313, bringing that average up almost 30 points from where it had been pre-COVID when he had taken some time out uh, due to testing positive. You've got Colton Wong back in the fold of being an almost everyday player. Willie Adamas is going to be healthy back here uh, once his little short stint on the IL comes done. Eduardo Escobar contributing tonight in tonight's game with a two-run double. Um, he's back in the lineup. You know, Luis Urias has been playing so consistently. You know, I've said time and time again, every time that there is a, you know, you have like a special team, um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of moments you can point to. And we talked about this with the Bucks. And really with the Packers, too, is everyone on the roster seems to have a moment that that you can point to at the end of the year, hopefully with a World Series crown or championship crown, um, you know, in hand. And you can point to every single guy as, you know, this was the Colton Wong breakout game or the, you know, the Jackie Riley Jr. or Daniel Vogelbach Grand Slam that, you know, really kind of lifted this team up and doesn't let them get off the gas pedal and, and just so many different instances. So really special team. 
Uh, took three out of four from the Giants last week. Kind of stumbled a little bit against the Cardinals at the early part of the series last weekend, but ended up coming away with a series win. Um, also, coming through today, you know, yesterday, uh, Labor Day, took one on the chin against the Phillies, but as of right now, kind of bouncing back from that too. So, a lot of good stuff going on down in Milwaukee with our Milwaukee Brewers, and just a fun time to be a Brewer fan as that race to October kind of really ramps up here. Yeah, that what a great call. I thought I thought the 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 call by uh, Anderson was awesome, but I thought the the call by Euchre was even more special. Uh, you know, this I'm happy we're in the time of magic numbers. This is the time, Eric, as you know, the novice. The kind of in, kind of out, uh, or baseball fan is. Um, this is the time I'm starting to enjoy baseball. So excited! The Brewers are in it. They're they're the top dog. They have a shot at the one seed, which is awesome. Uh, uh, hopefully, they don't play the Giants or the Dodgers right off the bat, and they get uh, one of them NL East teams that are playing pretty weak. So. Um. Yeah, just exciting time. I'm. I'm. I'm excited for Eric. I'll. I'll come out and say it. I'm excited for it. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if you had seen this. I had. I had actually been part of one of them on Sunday. Three teams in the Brewers organization had walk-off, multi-run home runs. Uh, in the Tim Rattlers game on Sunday that I was attending, it was a three-run walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth. In the Brewers, uh, they had a walk-off grand slam, and also the low A. Carolina Mudcats also having a walk-off Grand Slam. So really unheard of to have three of your organization, you know, minor league teams in the major league club all do something so rare, but just what an incredible time to be a Brewers fan. I did I did see that. How cool is that? That is, that is uh, you know, those are the stats you kind of, you don't hear those hardly ever, if at all. So, uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool stat. I did see that, though. So with that, uh, just to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit, um, you know, this is a podcast. It's not a radio show. So <laughs> not everything is done in one take or is done live, um, all, you know, front to back like a radio show would be. So due to scheduling concerns, um, yesterday, being Monday, I took a chance to sit down with Mason and talk about the Mason Sprangers, talk about the upcoming Packer season, and we went on for quite a while here, so the next segment or two here is going to be heavily on that. Uh, so we will get to Mason. We'll wrap up our episode after that. And so this is my conversation with Mason Sprangers talking about the upcoming Packer season. Joining us now, he's been on the show a couple times now. He's a college-level player personnel scout. He goes to a lot of Packer practices. He's a season ticket holder of the Packers. This guy, he's probably forgotten more football than I know probably, but... Joining us now for the third time, Mason Sprangers. Mason, how you doing, buddy? Doing all right, man. How you doing? Doing great. So, as the theme of the show this week, we have a pretty, uh, pretty big weekend coming up here, and and pretty big time of year for our city and our state, for that matter. And that being the opening of the regular season for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, it's an exciting time. It's hard to believe that, uh, you know, that this time of year has come, come up already. It seems like, uh, you know, we were just playing in the NFC title game against Tampa Bay. Just, you know, it seems like a couple months ago and, 
you know, thinking back now, it's almost nine months ago and getting ready to start another season. It's hard to believe. And that's what I was going to kind of say is, I mean, we had you on right before the draft. We talked a lot about who should we be looking at, who, you know, talking about the quarterbacks that were going, we talked about the different aspects of, you know, the needs of the Green Bay Packers after the 2020 season. And, you know, in a lot of ways, they did fill in quite a bit of gaps. There's not really, a, I mean, there's some question marks here for this team, but really, I mean, I think safe to say for what we saw last year, I mean, really a lot of those, like I said, in my opinion, anyway, a lot of those gaps filled in. What say you? Yeah, I think, you know, throughout free agency and throughout the draft, I think, you know, the organization as a whole did a pretty solid job at getting just some role pieces here and here. Um, you know, I think the, the core of the team obviously is, is pretty damn good. Uh, when you have a, you know, I think the, the best quarterback in the league, probably the most talented guy to ever throw the football and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you got a top five running back in the league and Aaron Jones. I think you got the best receiver in the league in Devonte Adams, best left tackle in Bakhtiari. Uh, damn good nose tackle and Kenny Clark top three corner in the league in Jair. So the, the core was definitely there and the pieces have been there for the Packers over the past, you know, three, four years now, and really even longer than that, but just with the core guys that are on the current roster, um, you know, they've had this group of guys now for at least the last three, four years. So that core has been there, but then, you see in certain situations, whether it was in the title game against San Francisco or at different points last year, you saw just a couple of areas where maybe the team could have improved. And now you saw, for example, they go out and they get Campbell, the linebacker from Atlanta to kind of help boost that inside linebacker spot a little bit. They trade for a different punter trying to get that special teams to go above and beyond a little bit. So, you know, they were really draft heavy in the offensive line, trying to boost the depth there even a little bit more, uh, obviously bringing Cobb back, bringing Rogers back, getting that or drafting Rogers, I should say, uh, getting that true slot receiver in the offense. Uh, I think all those things coming together in addition to the core of the roster that I mentioned, uh, there's a lot of things to really be excited about as you head into this 2021 season. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was really excited to talk to you because, you know, we, I went to a number of practices. I know you were at quite a few more practices than I was. I just never actually had an across paths at those practices. So from your perspective, I mean, you know, we wanted to kind of talk, you know, different couple different angles here. Uh, first, I think the most pressing, I guess, kind of question in Green Bay was, Jordan Love and Jordan Love being the first round pick last year that no one got to see because you know practice was close to the public, there was no preseason, and then Aaron Rodgers stayed healthy all season long, and Tim Boyle was the human victory cigar. So Jordan Love didn't even suit most of the game. I don't think he suited a single game. Um, so you know, really, those first days of training camp were the first really eyes on him. So I guess I wanted to start with what do you think of Jordan Love now that we have seen him in person at the NFL level? Sure. I'll, I'll premise this by going back to my evaluation of him coming out of Utah state. So, uh, he's a guy that I watched a lot of tape on as he was coming out of the draft. And then I saw him live down at the senior bowl as well. 
And, you know, when you look at a quarterback, you know, you look at the, the critical factors. So athletic ability, the mental processing, competitive toughness, play speed, play, uh, play strength. And then when you get into the, uh, position specifics, you know, the arm strength, accuracy, the poise, decision-making throw on the run, you know, all these things come into play. So when looking at Jordan love coming out of college, um, you know, the, the thing that kind of popped out right away. And when I saw him live at the senior bowl in mobile was he obviously has the arm strength. I think he can throw the football on all three levels. He can make that throw from the opposite hash. So arm strength really wasn't a question for me at any point. Um, he's shown the ability to be accurate. I think he can throw with touch. He can really throw a rocket ball in there. If he really has to, uh, it throws with good anticipation. Um, you know, he looks like a leader, you know, when you watch tape of him at Utah state, you know, the year before his last year there, they lost a lot of guys via transfer, via graduation, everything like that. And so his last year there, he was really trying to work with a lot of guys who maybe necessarily weren't up to the talent caliberness that they had the year prior. So you could see though on tape, you know, the guys rallied around him. He had control of the huddle in and out of the huddle, even down at the senior bowl. I mean, he's playing with guys from all over the country, you know, sec guys, big 10 guys, PAC 12 guys. So, and he was able to command that huddle, get in and out. So I liked those qualities about him. But then the, the negative side to what I saw of studying him coming out of college were the mechanics were very inconsistent he had a lot of arm throws, the weight transfer, as far as back foot to front foot, uh, shoulders, you know, being, le- being level, you know, he had a lot of sh- throws, but the shoulders up in the air and that can cause some inaccuracies. Um, you know, the, like I said, the footwork as far as the drops and then when setting up for the throw itself, you really need to give yourself a good base to be able to have power to throw the football. And he was just very inconsistent with a lot of those mechanical things. And on top of those mechanical things came the decision-making concerns. And my initial thought of it coming out of college was I didn't want to kill the guy because as I just said, he seemed to be working a lot with, you know, guys who maybe weren't as good you know, from a talent perspective as he had been. So he was trying to, in my opinion, it looked like he was trying to create more than what the play was giving him just because he knew he didn't have a ton around him. So, you know, he threw 17 picks his last year. The decision-making was very questionable. And, you know, in Green Bay now, you see the the big arm, uh, the ability to throw an accurate football, you know, you can see that he gets in and out of the huddle. He's a, you know, a leader and things like that. But the concerning thing to me is that the things I mentioned that I didn't necessarily like when he was coming out of college are things that I still am concerned with now. And that's the mechanics, especially when under pressure. And one of the things I thought was a a plus for him in college was actually his poise. When things broke down, I thought he was poised and he handled things very well. He didn't drop his eyes, kept looking for open targets down the field. But this preseason, um, you know, the, the poise that he played with was a little concerning to me because 
you know, you look at a lot of the plays that were running in preseason games. And when you're watching the game specifically, a lot of the plays were kind of drawn up for him. So what I mean is a lot of it was predetermined, right? So you get a snap, you take a three-step drop and you're throwing this out route or you're throwing this curl route, you know, you're, you're going to this spot. And when you saw plays that that first option was taken away and then the second option was taken away and things broke down a little bit, he looked in panic mode more often than not where his you know eyes dropped, his mechanics went all over the place where his feet were crossing up each other. Um, you know, just, I didn't think he looked very comfortable. He didn't look like he was playing the position naturally when the play broke down. And that's, you know, with that along with the mechanical parts of the footwork and a lot of the arm throws and things like that, that I believe he is still struggling with. Um, it was a little concerning to me for sure, because you saw it partially during, um, you know, you see it during some of like the, the non live periods, like in practice and, and things like that, where, you know, he, you can't get hit as a quarterback. So when you get into the preseason games and you know, you know that the bullets are flying and you're going to be able to get hit in the games, you know, that's a adjustment mentally for sure. And I don't think he handled it extremely well. The poise, the decision-making you saw a couple of times when plays broke down where he just really threw the ball up for grabs into precarious situations. That's something as an NFL quarterback, you just cannot do. So there are a couple of things that are still really concerning for sure. When I look at Jordan love uh, in this preseason. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and with that said, I mean, I think you saw that a lot more in my opinion, at least in the Houston game, than maybe the bills game, Um, you know, it kind of hurt not having that game against the jets too, but I guess at this point, if you were kind of calling the shots of the Green Bay Packers, if say, you know, knock on wood, God forbid, something happened to Aaron Rodgers, how comfortable would you feel with Jordan Love being the quarterback of this team versus maybe going and bringing in a veteran? Sure. Well, the, the thing that he does have going for him for sure is that he's playing in a system that's extremely quarterback friendly, right? So there's a lot of things that LaFleur and Hackett, Getze, and the rest of the coaching staff can do from a schematic standpoint to get your quarterback into a good situation. They run a lot of mesh concept. They run a lot of different concepts where, you know, guys are really schemed open. He doesn't have to read, you know, three, four different options and try to create something a ton, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he does create a lot on his own for sure. But there are a lot of times where he's just put into a really good position where he's able to deliver an accurate football based on, you know, the, the route concepts that are called, um, there's not a lot of times where a play design takes so long to develop where he's having to really face a pass rush consistently. So he would have that going for him for sure. And he's got three great running backs too. I mean, you know, the offensive line is, is up in the air a little bit at this point with a couple of the injuries and things like that. Um, but with having a good running game and being in a system that's extremely quarterback friendly, where you're not necessarily having to make 
two, three reads per play. And you have a lot of things that are kind of uh, developed, you know, within the scheme itself. I think he can come in and be successful, but I, you know, in my opinion, just based on some of the things that I've seen from him, I, there's going to be, there would be a significant decrease in production and efficiency from the Packers offense. If you went from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan love, because, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, like I said, as good as the offense is from a schematic standpoint, you go back and watch the tape from last year. And there was a lot of plays where Aaron you know, gets, whether it's gets pressure or, you know, if they're running a route concept to one side and the corner just shuts it down and he has to go elsewhere. He's so good at being able to go to second, go to third, go to fourth options and deliver an accurate football. Um, and that's just not something that a lot of guys can do is create something out of nothing and put the ball where it absolutely has to be for your receiver to make a catch. Um, you know, I, I feel like they could move the ball. Um, I can, I feel like they could score points, but when you look at, you know, the, the rate of scoring in the league, you know, this, you know, last year and what it's probably going to be again this year. Um, you know, I just, I don't know how, often the Packers would be able to keep up, especially with some of the offenses that they are going to be up against this season. Yeah, definitely. And so with that, I guess just to kind of transition to a couple of the other position groups here, I know you mentioned three great running backs and I'm glad you bring up that, that third back. Cause we know the greatness of Aaron Jones. We've seen uh, flashes of the rookie or the last year's rookie and uh, AJ Dillon, but Kylan Hill was a guy, not a lot of fans had heard of uh, being a seventh round pick coming in the system late uh, you know, or coming in the te- to the team late in the draft, you know, kind of doesn't have the, the fanfare of the first two, three rounds really even. What did you see out of Kylan Hill that really solidified his spot as a third go-to guy on the in the running back depth chart? Yeah, I, I loved the pick because I had a mid-fifth round grade on him uh, coming out of the draft this year. And when he was sitting there and I didn't really expect the Packers to go running back uh, when their pick came up in the seventh round, but when they, you know, announced that he was the pick, it was an awesome pick. It was, you know, he played big time ball at Mississippi state. He's a physical runner. I think he, his vision's really good at, you know, Mississippi state, you know, they kind of have gotten to that, that air raid type offense where he wasn't in a lot of, you know, straight up run situations, you know, where the box was stacked and he really had to have a lot, you know, he had a lot of traffic, um, you know, within the interior seven and things like that. But, you know, the outside zone run, which the Packers run a lot of, you know, Mississippi state ran that. And I think his vision's really good. He's able to put a foot in the ground and get up field physical runner. He'll run through arm tackles all day. Um, just, I loved what I saw from him on tape. And then you really saw that during the preseason too, when he got here to green Bay. Um, I think, you know, the vision is, is evident. He's a very patient runner, but with the burst and acceleration that he has, he's able to be patient, let a hole open up and explode through it. Uh, not a lot of guys have that, especially a guy who was picked in the seventh round. So, um, one thing I wish I saw more of was the pass catching ability. I know he caught a couple screen passes and things. I would have loved to see him on more like arrow routes and swing routes and 
um, little circle routes in, in the flat and up the middle and things like that. But, um, you know, those things I think are in his skill set, and I'm really interested to see how they utilize him once we get into the regular season here. Yeah, definitely. And so just kind of moving on with the offensive side of the ball here, just kind of going position group by position group, wide receiver was one of those. It became probably the most contested spot offensively, but it was mm-hmm. kind of, you know, the it was so top heavy that there was really, you know, a battle for one position, if you will, or one spot, if you will. Maybe you justify two if if Devin Funches stays healthy, but I mean, really that came down to Malik Taylor kind of just taking over the spot. So Malik Taylor, I mean, yes, he was here last year, but he didn't I mean, he was active for a handful of games and maybe not a lot of people know a lot about Malik Taylor. What do you got on him? Yeah, I think, you know, he's just been a really steady performer. And I think you saw on, you know, a couple of the opportunities that he had last year. Um, he's just, he's a very technical route runner. I think his ability to throttle down and change direction and all those things are extremely good. I think this year, specifically in the preseason, he showed his ability to catch the ball in contested situations. So there were a number of balls that were thrown that were, you know, maybe 50, 50 balls or maybe, you know, 60, 40, you know, where he has a slight advantage based on positioning and leverage and things like that. But he came up with a lot of those contested uh, catches. And that's something that you really like to see, especially from a smaller guy. Like he's not a big guy at all. Um, so the fact that he's, you know, shows the physicality, shows the ability to go up and get the football. Um, you know, you love to see that. Didn't have a ton of run after catch uh, opportunities, you know, during the preseason. It's it's so hard just because they don't run a lot of different route concepts where, you know, the guys are really able to have a great opportunity to run after the catch. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely earned it for sure. The, the one thing about the receiver group that I, you know, I'm still kind of confused about, you know, looking back on the preseason is there were a lot of guys who I thought were going to be competing for that final spot that really didn't get played in the preseason. I'm looking at like Equinemius St. Brown. He was, I know he was injured a little bit early in camp, but he was sat for all three preseason games and he didn't suit up once. I want to say uh, Juwan Winfrey as well. I thought he had a you know really good start to camp. Um, he was sat and not suited up for the last two also, but was practicing at the same time. So, you know, a, a couple of those, you know, I know like EQ, uh, was retained on the practice squad, but, um, you know, with a couple of those guys, I didn't really feel like they got really a fair chance to show what they could do in preseason games. And I don't know if, they were really banged up and just trying to get through practices and they were sat for the preseason games because of that, I don't really know, but there were a couple guys that I really thought were going to be in position to take that final receiver spot that really didn't get the opportunity to. Um, but credit to Malik Taylor, Chris, he had a really good camp and you know performed really well in the games and he definitely earned that last uh, receiver spot. Yeah. And you, you mentioned Juwan Winfrey and Juwan Winfrey was kind of that darling of, of training camp early on. And, and I'm glad you mentioned him because I was going to ask you about what you saw out of him that because he's not somebody that's well-known per se, who wasn't even on the roster last year, that maybe you saw in him that maybe would have warranted him to get a spot in the roster, would have warranted him to 
you know, get that opportunity to even play in the preseason games and, and that you were so excited to see him. Yeah. I think the, um, you know, the one thing that you look at right away, I think he was a technical route runner. Um, you know, his, his change of direction, his suddenness, his ability to sell routes, you know, there were a couple of routes where, uh, especially, you know, early on in camp where, you know, he's selling a corner route or he's selling a post route and he can cut back inside, you know, his, his change of direction, ability to flip his hips was something that was really exciting because, you know, if you get a receiver that can really sell those double moves and get a corner or a safety or who's ever on him to bite. And, you know, that's a explosive play waiting to happen. So I was excited about that. I thought his, uh, his deep speed was, was pretty solid. His ability to track the ball coming in. I thought his, you know, his hands were, his hands were good. Um, you know, the one thing that maybe prevented him from being in a position to get a roster spot was just his separation ability. Wasn't great. Uh, especially if he was pressed at the line of scrimmage, you know, there are a couple times where, you know, whether it was Eric Stokes on him or, um, you know, Jair was on him during some of the, like the one-on-one situations, you know, if, if, corners got his, their hands on him early, which they did just because his release package isn't really refined yet. He had, he had issues really getting separation, um, you know, throughout the route, but if he was able to face a corner that was playing off coverage, he was able to chew that cushion up really quick. Um, you know, get on the toes of the corner and really make a cut that could create separation at that point. Uh, but the the situation really had to be right for him to create separation consistently. Um, so maybe that's ultimately what kind of prevented him. But there were a lot of things to like with him. I'm interested to see kind of where things go for him because uh, he has an intriguing uh, skill set for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's I'm glad you bring him up. So just to kind of go again, keep staying with the offensive side of ball before we go to defense. Uh, tight end was one of those positions that really seemed kind of locked in stone pretty early on. And am I wrong in that assessment? No, I mean, it, it got interesting though. Cause you know, both Aaron and um, coach Hackey, coach the floor all kind of started talking about how there were like five or six guys that they really liked. Um, you know, Dominique Daphne was obviously on the roster late in the year last year that uh, Kafusi that they brought in, you know, Aaron had some good things to say about him as well, but you know, that tight end position, you really can't afford to keep five on, on the roster. Um, especially, you know, they were talking about maybe six at one point, there's no way that you can keep, you know, six tight ends on a roster. It just isn't possible. It takes away from a different position group and, and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I'm excited about the tight end group. I want to see, uh, what Tanyan can do, you know, following the big year last year, it's always hard for a young player where, you know, they, they have a quote unquote breakout season. And then now it's, how do you follow up with that? And, you know, he's put himself in a really good position where, you know, he's working out, um, with Kittle and things like that. And in the off season, you know, he's put himself around really good guys and he's got a good guy to learn from and Mercedes Lewis also, as far as just how to do it, how to practice, how to watch film and things like that. So, um, you know, the tight ends are obviously a big part of the offense. Uh, they got Deguara coming back who, you know, started in week one last year. So, um, 
really, really excited about that group. I think, um, you know, if Tunyon can, Tunyon can do, you know, three quarters of what he did last year. And then you have the additions at the receiver position, uh, DeGuara coming back, you know, I think that position group's going to be in a really good spot and can help the offense substantially. Yeah. And with that, I mean, t- the, like you said, a lot of pressure on Tunyon with, you know, there's the, probably the biggest question mark was the, the, the suspended Jay Sternberger where he's uh, got to take a little time out here, if you will, uh, for some off field actions. What do you think of Jay Sternberger? Because he's kind of been one of those guys where, I mean, he was so highly sought after in college and, and in a lot of people's or a lot of people's eyes, a lot of people's minds really has never really taken that step up where Tunyon did and, and filled in those gaps where he was really supposed to. I mean, last year it really seemed like that spot was kind of made for for him and just has never really kind of taken it over. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good assessment. I mean, you know, I was a really big fan of him when he was coming out of college at A&M and, um, you know, love that the Packers were able to pick him. I thought he was going to be a really versatile piece of the offense. And, you know, he had a good, you know, first, you know, week and a half of camp his rookie year. And then, um, when they had the Texans in town for, for the joint practices, uh, he took a kind of a cheap shot over the middle on a pass and, you know, was concussed for, you know, kind of the rest of camp. He really never came back, had some neck issues and, he's just been banged up for, you know, the entirety of his career in the league so far for the most part. And, um, as a young player, it's really hard when you can't practice and you can't get the reps and be out there learning from the guys around you, catching passes, blocking consistently. You know, that was a big thing with Tunyon was early on, you know, his, his blocking wasn't necessarily where it needed to be for starting NFL tight end. Well, he was able to be out in the practice field. He's stayed healthy, knock on wood. And you have seen the blocking aspect improve a lot over the past year and a half, two years where Jace has never really had that just due to his injury history. So, um, I know there's been a, a couple balls and things like that that have been thrown to him in the past that he's come up with in tough situations. And then there's been a couple easy ones where you expect him to come down with the football that he hasn't. Um, but you know, the, the, the skill set is, I think is there for sure. It's just, you know, some, some people say the old cliche is, you know, your best trade is availability. And he unfortunately just hasn't been available due to, you know, like, like you said, off the field issues now heading into the season, um, you know, on that suspended list and then, um, you know, injury history as well, uh, obviously hasn't helped him out whatsoever. Absolutely. So then just to go to the offensive line and talking about, you know, the newcomer, obviously the all eyes on the center position with Josh Myers. And I know Justin not being here uh, right now, his big concern was what is the growth of Josh Myers? Is it going to have to be on Aaron Rodgers to have to call out defenses or is it going to be Josh Myers growing kind of that Corey Lindsley rope where he can call out the protections and let Rodgers just kind of decide, or you know, go and take over the rest of the defense and not have to worry about those protection packages. Where do you feel that Josh Myers is heading into week one? Yeah, it's it's hard to tell because, you know, as a 
as an onlooker, you can really only see the, the physical trait side, right? Like, so you don't necessarily, you know, if you're watching a game or you're watching tape of a practice, whatever it is, you don't necessarily know what the protection is that they're calling. You can study the tape and have an idea of what the protection should have been based on the look given, but you don't know for sure. So, you know, you can watch tape and if there's a, a miss block or something like that, or miss assignment, you know, it's, it's easy to point the finger back at him saying, Oh, well, he, he didn't call the protection, right. He didn't identify the defense, right. But that's not necessarily fair to do. I think my thing with him coming out of Ohio state, when I watched him this last spring was really the, the mobility aspect for him. And when I say that he's a big guy for a center, Uh, he's, you know, two, three inches taller than the average center, about 20 pounds, 20, 30 pounds heavier. Um, easily the biggest center that has been around in green Bay, you know, at least since I've been alive for sure. Um, you know, from a pass protection standpoint, you don't have to block in a lot of space when you're in that interior offensive line, right? Cause you got a guard on each side of you, but when you're run blocking and you're needing to, you know, combo with the guy next to you or double team, and you're needing to climb to that second level, some of those mobility things, as far as getting two linebackers on the second level, you know, if you're, you're looking at our schedule this year and some of the middle linebackers that he may be tasked with reaching at the second level and getting an angle on in space. I mean, you're talking Eric Kendricks in Minnesota. You're talking about Fred Warner in San Francisco. You're talking about Bobby Wagner in Seattle. You know, there's high quality middle linebackers that he may be tasked with blocking in space in the run game in inside zone, or even climbing to the second level outside zone and gets getting some of these guys blocked in space. I don't know if he's necessarily at that point to be able to block some of those quality guys in, in space. And even, even in the inside run where he, you know, you're not necessarily laterally moving, but you're just climbing vertically. Um, there were a number of plays at Ohio state that I watched where, you know, he, he just doesn't have the angle. He doesn't come off in time. He just doesn't have the speed to get there. And those things could have been improved working with really two quality offensive line coaches, in my opinion, that the Packers have and Stenovich and Buckus. But, um, you know, those are things that I think he needed to improve on. You know, you saw a little bit of him during the the preseason and things like that. Um, there were a couple snap issues during camp. There were a couple of different things as far as the cadence issue. Cause Aaron Rodgers is a guy that loves to mess with the cadence and do all these different things to try to get the defense uh, at a disadvantage, just not being able to time up the, the snap and everything like that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard to know for sure how that is going to happen until the bullets start flying in, in real games. But um, you know, that's something that, you know, the coaches just kind of have to put them out there and, you kind of just find out what he can do. Um, you know, you don't know what he can or cannot do until he goes out there and does it or can't do it. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens once we get into week one here. Yeah, definitely. And just keeping with the offensive line then too, I know kind of two sh- 
shocking cuts might be the best word to describe it, but given the health status of David Bakhtiari, were you surprised of Cole Van Landen and Ben Braden not making the initial 53? I was a little surprised by Ben Braden not making it. I thought he had a really solid last half of camp. I thought he started a little bit slow. He was beat on one-on-ones and uh, an inside run didn't have a couple of, of good periods, uh, but late in camp, they bumped him out to tackle and I thought he did a really good job. I, when I saw him out at tackle the first time, I didn't know what the hell they were doing with them. Cause I didn't think, you know, just from a, a stature standpoint, and overall athleticism standpoint, I didn't think that necessarily had the the skill set to go out on an island like that and play a tackle, but he did a really, really good job. I thought his angles and space were really good. Um, his hat, hands, his feet were, you know, were all in really good positions, a, a majority of the plays. And, um, you know, that was, that was a surprising cut for sure. Van Landen was, was kind of a, a tweener, right? So they had him at tackle at times they put him in at guard a couple of times. And he was just kind of a guy that really didn't seem to find where he was best suited. So at tackle, you know, there are a couple of times, you know, pass rush one-on-ones where, you know, he's, he's beat around the outside, you know, that, that uh, the pass set you know, wasn't wide enough. He just didn't have the speed in his feet to get the depth needed. You know, his, his length isn't the greatest for a tackle position either from an arm length standpoint. So, you know, if you're lacking the foot speed and you don't have the arm length to block guys one-on-one in a pass rush situation, that's going to be hard for you to block. So they bump him down in a guard and I don't know for sure. I personally never saw any film of him playing guard at Wisconsin. So I don't know if he played guard when he was in college, but it just didn't look as natural to him. Cause when you move inside, even though it's, you know, one position in a sense, you know, it, it's a different world. I mean, you're, you're past setting at different angles. You're taking on bigger and technically stronger guys. I mean, you're looking at instead of a six foot five, you know, 260, 70 pound defensive end, you know, now you're blocking, you know, six foot two, 320, 310 pound nose tackle instead. Um, so it's, it's a different role when you go inside. And I just don't think that he necessarily had time to get comfortable playing inside. Um, so, you know, it's good that, you know, for him, being back on the practice squad, he's got a great group of offensive linemen on the active roster to learn from. Um, but yeah, you know, the, you know, the Bredesen, um, you know, cut was a, was a surprise for sure. And just to kind of keep with that too. I mean, I think the biggest shock for me personally with Cole Van Lannan, not necessarily the play speed and, and the factors of what led him to be cut. And I'm kind of glad that you, you kind of went there without me having to bring it up. Uh, but I was just going to say, you know, it's so rare for a draft pick to get cut that same year, which really speaks to the depth of that group as a whole. And I guess I was going to ask you just to, as the offense as a whole, so you don't have to be contained alignment here, but we spent so much time talking about, for all intents and purposes, the new the newcomers of the team. We, we you know, Jordan Love technically on the roster last year, but talked a lot about the newcomers. So I guess of the guys who are maybe returning, uh, to this team from last year, 
who do you think would probably maybe take over that most improved role as just the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, I thought um, I thought Valdez Scanling had an awesome camp. Um, he just he looks more natural as a route runner. I don't know if he's worked with Devonte on his releases, which I think Devonte has the best release package in the game. Um, but his, you know, releases as far as how to defeat different coverages looked really good. He just looks like he, a guy that trusts his hands more. And I don't know if it's just hours and hours on jugs machines or catching deep balls over the shoulder and at different angles, but he just looked like he trusted his hands more and really, you didn't really see the ball hit the ground when it was thrown his way during camp. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a big, that'd be huge for the Packers offense. Cause there were a number of games last year where, you know, he was open and he, he drops a pass or, and you know, there are a couple of 50, 50 balls where, you know, you'd really love to come down with that, where you help your quarterback out a little bit. He didn't come up with those. Well, this preseason he's been coming up with those and he's been catching the balls that he's supposed to catch. So, you know, if some of those big plays, I mean, there were a couple of touchdowns, why like walk in touchdowns last year that were dropped. Um, so if those can be eliminated from the Packers offense, you know, just elevates the, the yardage and the scoring output even further. So um, really, really excited about what he can do coming into this next season. I think, you know, far and away, you know, looking at guys that were on the, on the squad last year, I would, I would definitely look at, at 83. Fantastic. And then also just kind of maybe coming with technically a new or returner, I should say, but also a newcomer in his own route, Randall Cobb. I mean, fan favorite, big ovations every day he was in camp and, you know, from all the days that the fans were at camp, but I guess your analysis on, on Randall Cobb coming back to green Bay and what he can still bring to this team. Yeah, I, I went back and watched tape from him last season. And unfortunately, he kind of dealt with some injury issues in the second half of the year. Um, when I go back and I watched him in, in Dallas and then in Houston, it was still a lot of the same things that we knew Randall Cobb to be in the early 2010s, right? So the the suddenness as far as getting off the line and finding those holes and zones and being comfortable working in the middle of the field, uh, he tracks the ball really well where he's always catching it out in front, trying to maximize those yards after catch opportunities that he has. Um, I just, you know, all those things are fantastic, but really I think the thing that is going to be the most substantial from his return is just the presence that he has. I mean, that's a veteran guy who's been around for a long time. Uh, he's got a lot of respect from other players around the league that have and have not played with them. Um, so I just think that veteran presence, having another guy in that room with Devontae Adams to kind of lead those younger guys, I think is going to be really important. Obviously it's, uh, you know, makes Aaron Rodgers happy having a you know good friend and a guy who's caught a lot of passes from him back has good, you know, relationship both on and off the field has that chemistry on field with him. Um, you know, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of those routes that the Packers ran last year, you know, mesh concepts, little wheel routes, quick outs, you know, all those things are just right up Randall Cobb's alley. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing uh, his production from those situations that he's put in. Yeah. And then just even to go with Randall Cobb 2.0, if you will, 
Amari Rogers. I know we really didn't get a whole a chance to talk about him a whole lot yet, but uh, Amari Rogers, what have you seen out of him on camp, and and what do you think his role, uh, especially now having Randall Cobb kind of probably taking over a lot of that role that he was maybe projected to have, what do you see Amari Rogers' biggest uh, twenty twenty one looking like here? Yeah, I think you know, it's it's looking like he's going to be the the punt returner. So you know, obviously, uh, you know, have uh, have an impact in the game from a special team standpoint. But offensively, when he had opportunities to catch the football during camp, you know, he he catches the ball and he's turning upfield really really quick, and his doesn't take any extra steps, any wasted motion. He's catching the ball, putting a foot in the ground and getting upfield, which, you know, you really love to see, you know, there's a couple out routes that he ran during uh, preseason and, um, you know, he's catching, turning, and he's got really good acceleration uh, once he has the ball in his hands. So I think just in situations, you know, whether it's short yardage or, you know, you're trying to just keep the defense off balance, just getting the ball out quickly, get it into his hands. I think he's really good after the catch. He can make guys miss. He has a really good understanding of running with the football in space. Um, you know, didn't, didn't get to see a ton of opportunities of him, you know, work in the middle of the field. Yeah. I, I know during practice and things, you know, they, they work different things like that, but it's a different thing when you're working the middle of the field and you know, you can get hit by a linebacker or safety. So, uh, didn't really see any of those things during preseason games. They didn't really run him on crossers or anything like that. Um, so I'm looking forward to see what he can do in those areas. I'm really confident that, you know, if he's put in those situations, work in the middle of the field, um, you know, he can sit down in, in zone coverage and, catch the ball in traffic and make some, some big plays from in between the hashes. So I would look for him to really be utilized in, you know, that area of the field specifically, because I think that's where he can really excel uh, in this offense. Yeah. Great stuff. Any final kind of parting thoughts that just offensively first here that we, we didn't get to yet. Yeah. I think really the big thing is going into week one, this is really the first time in quite a while where we don't really know for sure what the offensive line is going to look like. Um, I think it's kind of a given that, you know, Elton Jenkins is going to be starting at left tackle uh, in the absence of Bakhtiari. And it's you know projected that Myers is going to probably start at center, but really other than that, and you don't even know that for sure, but really other than Jenkins, you know, you don't, 100% know what that starting five is going to be when they take the field against the saints. Um, you know, based on the preseason and things like that, I would think that Royce Newman, who's the lineman they drafted from Ole Miss this year, he's going to be playing one of the guard spots just with the way he played. And he really got a lot of reps, uh, near the end of camp, especially early in the game, he was taken out pretty quickly too. So, you know, looking at the camp he had, I expect him to be on the, the starting offensive line. Um, that Dennis, they picked up Dennis Kelly, who's a tackle from the Titans. He started all 17 with the Titans last year. Uh, he played in the first preseason game for a series or two and was taken out and did not play the rest of the preseason. So it's possible, you know, he's starting at, at right tackle and maybe they're bumping Billy Turner to right guard. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to know for sure what their plan is going into week one. And that's really an unknown because I mean, you think back to, 
you know, years and years ago, Bakhtiari, Sitton, Lindsley, Lang, Bulaga. I mean, you just knew that you had those five. And even in recent years, you know, with Bakhtiari and Lindsley in the middle, Elton Jenkins, uh, you know, right guard was kind of up in the air last year. Patrick won this position with Turner out there at tackle. And you know, this year you just don't have that for sure set five yet. So I'm going to be really interested to see what that starting five is once they hit the field in week one. Yeah, definitely. So just to go then to the defensive side of the ball, I mean, again, I didn't really see a lot of surprises here just from, from in camp. Uh, maybe I'm wrong in that assessment, but defensively, I mean, new co- first of all, let's just start with the, the obvious new coordinator. What do you think of the new defense? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of energy for sure. I mean, you, you listen to the players talk about Joe Barry and the, really the, the constant word that comes out of anyone's mouth that talks about him is, is energy. And he brings enthusiasm and passion to the locker room and to the meeting rooms every single day. So you definitely got to love that. Um, another, you know, shitty thing about preseason is that, you know, they, especially defenses, they just, really don't show anything during, during games at all. Um, you know, you're, you're more apt to see some different things in, in practice and things like that. But, um, I thought he did a, you know, I think he's, he's going to be a good you know, defense coordinator for what the Packers have defensively. And that's uh, a solid group of pass rushers. You know, obviously I think Zedarius Smith's status is a little bit up in the air. He's had some back issues all through camp, um, but he's, he's not going to be afraid to, to bring five, six guys consistently. I think, um, the thing that stood out the most was just the disguises that the Packers had defensively. I mean, there were, you know, all, all these plays, you know, I watched on tape last year and really before the snap even took place just by alignment, you could kind of tell what the Packers were going to be in from a coverage standpoint. Well, this year, I think they've done a lot better job so far as far as really disguising what they're doing. And you see some of the best defenses in the league, um, whether it was Seattle and the Legion boom days, um, you know, Mike Zimmer's defense in Minnesota has always been really good at it. And it's disguising what you're doing before the snap. So, you know, these quarterbacks that are in the league now are incredibly smart and they can pick up on what you're doing just based off alignments and things like that. So you know, premium is kind of pushed as far as disguising what you're doing. So, um, obviously the offense kind of is unsure on how they want to attack it. And one thing with Joe Barry is, uh, I think they've done a lot better job with that. They've had, you know, safeties down in the box that, you know, rotate to a single high or, you know, too high right before the snap corners and off coverage come up into press coverage or vice versa right before the snap. Um, you know, I think that thing is really what I'm most excited about is now that we're getting to regular season and they're actually going to be playing the entirety of their defense and not have to hide anything or hold anything back, uh, the blitz and pressure packages that they bring. And then the disguise factors. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that looks in the new, in the new defense. Yeah, absolutely. And just to, I guess, kind of go, um, you know, I guess front to back, if you will, we start with the uh, the defensive line and and really only one newcomer uh, for all you know. If we really look at it, that being T.J. Slate in the draft pick out of Florida. But am I wrong in saying that he really turned some heads? I mean, I was I think 
I was probably most surprised pleasantly with him uh, throughout camp this season. Yeah, the the first thing that really surprised me with him was, you know, when you watch a guy on tape, you know, in college, you know, you get a a little bit of a sense of what the guy is from a physical standpoint, size wise. Um, but Jesus, when I when I saw him the first time, he was way bigger in person. Than right, exactly. <laughs> it's on what I saw on film, and you know, I. I just, I love the way that he plays. I mean, he's a really physical player. Uh, he's, he's good with his hands. He's a guy who can definitely take on blocks and just maintain a gap you know, on, in the interior and help those linebackers stay free and roam to the football. Um, don't know what he's going to be able to do from a, a pass rush standpoint, especially now when he starts going against starting interior offensive linemen in the league. But he plays really hard. I mean, there's a number of times where, you know, there's a run outside and you see him in pursuit running down the football and there's not a ton of guys who are, you know, six two, you know, 320, 330 pounds that are running down running backs from, you know, 15, 20, 30 yards away. Um, so obviously the, the effort is there. I think he's got, you know, good athleticism. He's got a good motor on him where he's not going to get tired down throughout games. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. I think he's going to be a really big asset as far as, uh, in the run defense. Cause like I said, I mean, he's such a big guy where you can put him out there and he can really hold down a gap in the interior defense and let those linebackers roam and work their way to the football. And that's huge in run defense. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, how they utilize him uh, once we get in the season here. Yeah, definitely. And one other kind of factor of that that unit up front has been Kenny Clark. And Kenny Clark really kind of – I don't think he gets a fair shake of how good he actually is, especially with the numbers maybe going down. But I guess has Kenny Clark – have you seen anything different from him in camp this year, maybe compared to last year, or how he fits in the new defense? Maybe fans can – kind of expect to kind of go back to those upper, you know, those bigger numbers that he'd been putting up a couple of years back. Yeah. I think the thing is, especially with the, you know, quality interior guys, you know, it's, it's so much easier to double team a guy in the interior, right? You know, it's, it's hard to double a guy that's out on the edge, but when you're in the interior, you, know, you can put a guard and put a center, you can keep the back in and you can double that guy really easily. And I think that's kind of what you saw with Clark, you know, technically, you know, from a statistics standpoint, maybe the numbers decrease, but, and, you know, fans will be first to look at that. Well, okay, well, his tackles went from, you know, just got to throw numbers out there. His tackles went from 40 to 30 and his sacks went from eight to four. Like he had a decrease in production. Well, if you actually, you know, if you look at it from uh, you know, if you watch the tape, he's being double teamed quite a bit. So that's being, that's a, a blocker taken away from someone else on the defense because, you know, they're focusing, they have to focus several guys on him. So that's impacting the game. Um, you know, I, I compare it to Aaron Donald when, you know, in the Super Bowl against New England, you know, his statistical numbers weren't very good, but he was being doubled in triple teams sometimes. You know, that's, that's impacting the game. You know, you don't have to, have all these statistical factors to impact the game. But if you're, you're creating double team situations and you're maybe, 
given Zadarius or Rashawn Gary out on the edge, if you're giving them a one-on-one matchup, well, now you free someone else up to make a play. Or if you're drawing a double team, you maybe allow that second level inside linebacker, that safety coming in on a blitz, you allow him to get a free run or a one-on-one matchup. So um, I'd honestly expect just, just more of the same. Maybe, you know, if, if the Smiths, both of them, I know Zadarius has had two really good seasons, you know, if Preston gets back to what he was in 2019 and you see Rashawn Gary get, you know, take another step in the pass rush game, you know, maybe he'll see more one-on-one opportunities because more, uh, more attention will have to be put on those other guys that I mentioned. And maybe you'll see the statistical numbers go up, but, um, you know, like I said, you know, he's, he's impacted whether he's creating numbers from a statistical standpoint or not. Without a doubt. So just to kind of go from, like I said, going from the quote unquote, big uglies up front, up to linebacker and linebacker was kind of one of those positions where has always kind of been pointed to as maybe having one of the more questionable uh, fronts and, and being more, you know, having more question marks as a unit big cut early on in the second round of cuts with Kamal Martin getting released. I mean, he was starting games last year, I guess maybe it was a thing of just not fitting in the new scheme. Was it a matter of, just maybe not being better and seeing guys like Oren Burks where Oren Burks came really took training camp by storm defensively. What was it with Kamal Martin that changed? I tell you what, man, I, I wish I was a fly on the wall during that conversation. Cause when I saw that, I was, I was shocked by that because I thought when they drafted him last year, I thought he was, I mean, he was a guy that I watched on at the senior bowl also. And I just, I loved the way he played. I thought he was physical. I thought he diagnosed things. Well, um, he could stack and shed. He was physical tackler in the hole. I thought he was, you know, at least serviceable in, in pass coverage. And, you know, to your point, he's, he, he got a lot of snaps last year. Um, and now they're going to have a lot of snaps to replace with that. But honestly, you know, just going through camp this year, there's nothing that necessarily stood out as to why he would be released. I mean, especially well before the initial cut down to the, or the, I should say the final cut down to the 53 man roster, you know, if they were going to make a decision at that point to move on from him, I guess, you know, just, it is what it is, but to be released at that initial cut was extremely surprising. So you know, I'm, I'm with you. I, I wish we could go knock on uh, the floor and Gudikins and Joe Barry's doors and ask them, you know, the question ourselves. But um, yeah, that was, that was a shock to me as well. I did, I did not see that one coming for sure. Yeah. And just kind of, I mean, like I said, Oren Burks, I mean, maybe they saw what they needed to see out of him. Cause I mean, really, I was, I think I was probably the most impressed with him. I mean, as anyone on defensive side of ball uh, this preseason and this training camp and I guess just looking at him, we've seen him. This is what his third year in the NFL. Where has hit these areas of concern maybe that he had in the past where he's just stepped up that, in, you know, incredibly uh, to warrant, you know, kind of taking over a lot of those snaps as maybe the second inside linebacker, maybe the third technically inside linebacker. Yeah. I think the, for him, the, the physical aspect has always been there. Like the, 
the speed sideline to sideline, the, the agility, um, the change of direction, uh, the ability to backpedal, the ability to run laterally. I mean, all those things from a physical standpoint are there. And he's been a good special teamer because of the physicality and some of those physical traits that I mentioned. Um, so, you know, my, my best, you know, guess based on what I've seen on film and like, obviously I'm not there to see what goes on in the meeting rooms and everything like that. But I think the big thing for him was the, the mental side of it. Right. So, um, for example, I remember play specifically, you know, he got a good amount of snaps as rookie year. Um, I want to say, and I'm going to draw a blank. I, th- I want to say they're playing, I want to say they're playing the bears and they, they ran a dig route with their number two guy. And, you know, they have Burks dropping into zone coverage. Well, quarterback looks outside towards the flat, which was not his responsibility. And Burks kind of chased it. And that allowed the tight end to become open behind him. And, you know, they hit him for, you know, 15 yards the first down, you know, it's, it's little things like that, you know, that you're, you're playing outside of your responsibility. And, you know, there were numerous plays. That's just one example, but there are plays like that, that you saw on tape over the past few years where it's just like, Hmm, like maybe this guy is struggling from the mental processing side of things, or maybe he doesn't fully understand the system or things like that. So now, now you're in a new system. Maybe Barry has come in and maybe from a verbiage standpoint or responsibility, whatever it is, maybe they just found a way to simplify things a little bit for him and make it a little bit easier where he's not having to think so much. And there's maybe not as much terminology or I don't know for sure what it is, but I think, you know, it's definitely, there's definitely been an uptick from the mental side of things because there were plays in addition to the one I mentioned, but plays where he's, defending an inside run as a inside backer and you know anyone who's played football or has watched a lot of football or knows a lot of football if you're on a side and your guard pulls you gotta come down you gotta fill that hole like you gotta you gotta close in and fill that gap and there were a lot of times in the past where he was just very timid in that but then you saw in the first preseason game where that happened and he hit the hole and when the running back cut back right away he was right there to hit him for a one yard loss. So those are things there's been an uptick in the mental side of things for sure. And that along with the physical aspect or physical traits that he has that I mentioned, um, I think he could be, you know, in line to, you know, make a lot of impact plays for the Packers defense this year. Talk to me about Devonte Campbell. Yeah. I right when they signed him, I went and watched film from, Atlanta last year and he was fun to watch, man. I mean, he flies around to the football. He's very quick to identify things. That's kind of the first thing that I noticed. Um, you know, if he was covering the linebacker or I'm sorry, covering a running back in pass coverage, you know, that, that running back, you know, line and shotgun, he takes a lateral step. He was on it right away. His guard pulls, he's flowing right away. Um, there were so many plays where he was so quick to react to what was happening. So his key and diagnose his ability to read his keys, have his eyes in the right spot. 
um, which leads to the mental processing as a whole, I think is really solid physically. I think he can take on blocks. He's really good defeating angles that the offensive line may have on him. He can work over the top or come underneath. I think he's good versus the inside run from a physical standpoint. You know, he can fill the hole and, you know, take on blockers, meet that running back in the hole, make a tackle laterally. You know, he, I think he has the lateral quickness to work outside against outside run plays and take good angles and make the tackle. Um, the, the one you know, part of his game that isn't as strong is, is the pass, you know, pass defense game. Um, I think he's fully capable of defending tight ends and running backs man to man if it's in the short to intermediate areas of the field. But, you know, I have questions on what he can do if he's having to go man to man with a running back that's running a wheel route up the hash or running with a tight end that's running, you know, uh, know, a post down the middle of the field. I, I don't know if he's necessarily capable of doing that, especially, you know, against a guy like a Travis Kelsey that we have to play this year or, um, or uh, TJ Hawkinson, you know, guys like that. I don't know necessarily what he can do. He wasn't put in a ton of those positions last year where he was having to run vertically with guys like that. But I think he's definitely serviceable in, in the past uh, defense game. So I, I like the signing a lot. I think he can bring a different dimension from a physicality standpoint um, that the Packers haven't had uh, at inside linebacker for a little while. Yeah, and then just to kind of go back to the secondary, you know, we look at really, I mean, the first round pick this year was Eric Stokes, and I remember at draft time you were kind of a little bit, I guess to say it nicely, baffled by the pick. Um, I know at times, you know, he just he struggled, as a lot of rookies do, kind of playing that NFL speed, but at times, I mean, just also he's he's also one of the faster Packers that the team's ever had, on the, just in terms of 40 speed, too, where his speed really makes up for some of those, you know, rookie lapses. So in terms of where he's at kind of coming into week one from, you know, the three weeks or, you know, of preseason games and and a couple of weeks extra of that was training camp and kind of coming into week one, what can we expect from Eric Stokes? Yeah, you, you can tell for sure. And one of the things that I was concerned that I think I mentioned to you guys was in college, he was really grabby. And what I mean by that is at top of routes when receivers are making their, their breaks coming out of their breaks, making cuts, whatever it is. Um, he was really grabby. He didn't really trust himself athletically to change direction with the receiver and stay in phase. And, you know, he got a lot of penalties because of that, whether it was illegal contact, pass interference, holding, whatever it was. And you could tell that, you know, that was kind of an emphasis, I think of, the defensive backs coaches um, this preseason was I think early on in camp specifically. And even in the first game, if he was put in man-to-man situations uh, he was a little grabby at at the top of routes. I don't think he really trusted himself to to stay in phase with the receiver, but as camp went on, as the preseason went on, I thought you saw at least a little bit of a jump as far as confidence, as far as him being able to stay in phase and not have to resort to grabbing and putting his hands on the receiver. Um, you'll trust his God given uh, athletic ability, which he has. I mean, he's fast as hell in a, in a straight line, but 
you know, his, his fluidity from a change of direction standpoint, not in a straight line, isn't as fast as his straight line 40 speed is, but it's still pretty damn good. Um, but you know, the, the thing is with preseason two is, you know, and even in practices, a lot of times too, is they don't trust, or I shouldn't say they don't trust, but they don't put their corners in a position to play press man coverage a lot. And that's what I really wanted to see out of him. Like if he can stay in phase right from the start of the route, he's not having to play this guessing game at the top of the route. If he's playing off coverage. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah. hopefully during the regular season here, they put him in a position to start in press coverage and play man coverage and stay in phase right from the beginning, because I think he's capable of hanging with almost anyone athletically if they're running vertically down the field you know i think he still has a little bit of work to do like i said from a change of direction throttle down standpoint at the top of the route but um i think he definitely improved for sure throughout camp and i think that that confidence is just continuing to grow for him i was gonna ask you and you know we in season it's a lot of scout team quarterbacks so you won't see a whole lot of of this one-on-one but i, I just want to ask you from a scout perspective when you have guys like, you know, we've had a lot of young corners. We saw, you know, Kevin King, Jair Alexander, um, the list goes on and on from there. And now with Eric Stokes kind of being the newest higher profile cornerback draftee, what can they gain from practicing, you know, in team period against Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks to do it? Do you think that gives them a significant edge against most quarterbacks in the NFL? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the one thing for sure that I think of when, especially when going against Aaron Rodgers is just the eyes. Um, Aaron Rodgers is so good. so disciplined with his eyes where, you know, if you're a young corner, you know, if you, you know, I mean, you're watching film of a, of a guy in college, maybe a, you know, a guy that maybe got drafted late rounds or, you know, didn't go down to the league at all, but you can tell right where that guy's looking right where that guy's going to throw the football. Right. So if you're a a good corner and you're able to read the eyes, you can make a play on the football. Well, you know, Aaron Rodgers, a guy like him, who's so disciplined with his eyes, he can have you looking in one spot and kind of maybe get you cheating one way or going after something you're not supposed to go after and then throw a ball right behind you or kind of get you into a, a false sense of security where, you know, if he's, if he's rolling, right and you're playing corner on the backside receiver, um, you know, you're thinking as a corner, there's, there's no way in hell he's throwing this ball over here. There's no way he can throw it over here. And then he zips it across the field. You know, you've seen it time and time again, from Aaron Rodgers. Um, things like that can just make a corner better. You know, the eye discipline, the, the ability, you know, that the other, the quarterback on the other side of the ball is able to throw this football in any spot, anywhere on the field at any time. So that definitely, you know, make, makes you better. And when you're defending a guy in practice in Devonte Adams, who, like I said earlier, I think is the best receiver in the league, you're seeing the plethora of release packages that he has. And that's where he really tests them out is in practice. And, you know, whether he's, 
you know, working outside, trying to win inside, vice versa, or he's trying to stack vertically, whatever it is, you know, you face that over and over again. You know, you're not going to see many guys in the league who release off the football better than Devontae Adams. I mean, I don't think there's a better guy in the league um, that's that's better at it. I think from a acceleration and speed standpoint, Tyree kills up there. I think DeAndre Hopkins from a technical standpoint is up there, but I think Devontae Adams has the speed and the technical aspects of his releases. So, you know, you face that quarterback and you face that route running that those releases from a guy like Devontae Adams every day. I mean, you're just being primed for being a good football player. Cause you're not going to see the quality of either of that, uh, either of those two positions anywhere else in the league. Yeah, definitely. And just to kind of wrap up here, uh, training camp wise, I asked you for offensively. I'm going to ask you defensively. Biggest standout or slash most improved, however you want to go with that. Who do you think kind of fits that category? Oh man, that's that's a little bit of a tough one for sure. Um, you know, I I want to lean towards Adrian Amos just from a I think from a, a leadership and comfortability standpoint. I just think. You know, he's coming into, you know, another you know, year in the organization now. And he's I think he really has taken that leadership uh, aspect, uh, leadership from you know, at the secondary position specifically. But I just think from a, an accountability standpoint, he's a guy that, you know, other guys look to and say, hey, this guy knows what he's doing all the time. This guy practices the right way. Um, I'm going to you know, listen about this guy and they have him playing a lot of different areas too. I mean, he's playing in the slot a little bit. He's playing down in the box, play him as a single high, as a you know, split safety, whatever it is, you know, he's been a very um, versatile piece for, you know, the Packers defense, you know, they moved him around quite a bit near the end of last year also. Um, but I think he's really just kind of continuing to take that step in, uh, from a leadership standpoint that can really help the Packers secondary out because other than him, I know Jair has been, you know, in the league for, you know, going on you know, fourth, going on, going to be going on five years soon, but, um, you know, the secondary is really young around him. So having a guy like that in that secondary, uh, I think is really important. So, uh, you know, I kind of look at him as a guy who, um, who really had a, a, a solid camp. And I think he's kind of the guy who stood out. Cause I know, I know Zadarius has been voted captain in you know, the last few years, but he missed a lot of time with his back issues. And I think Adrian Amos really kind of did a good job of kind of filling that defensive captain spot uh, per se. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I did want to bring that up is just how really him and Jair kind of, you know, when you go to camp, and I know you, we had different angles where you were on, on the uh, sideline with the pass, and myself sitting on the fan side where those two are just so tight right now, Jair and Amos, and really you can see that that direct mentorship, if you will, just really taking in and, and Jair being as talented as he is, really taking that step up as the you know the mental side of things too. So really glad you went there. And just to kind of wrap up um, defensively here, I guess biggest surprise cut on that side of the ball. Yeah, I, I think we touched on it already. And it was, you know, Kamal Martin. I was just really 
you know, surprised that they went that direction, especially after the year that he had last year. I thought later in the year when him and Barnes were kind of getting the majority of the snaps in there, I thought Kamal did a really good job in both, you know, run defense and pass defense. And, um, you know, I thought his, the mental side of his game improved, obviously, as he got more snaps out there, I thought he was comfortable and trusting his eyes and everything like that. So, um, you know, not to, not to be you know redundant or repetitive at all, but yeah, I think Kamal was really the guy who I was, you know, going into camp, you know, right before camp started, if you were going to tell me that he was going to be cut, especially at the initial cut, um, I would have told you you were crazy. So that was definitely the the surprise of camp for me, for sure. Yeah, and then just kind of looking at the team as a whole, and I'm sure we'll get we'll have you act back on throughout the season here, but really kind of looking at this first initial few weeks of the season, I, I'm not going to go, you know, kind of week by week here, kind of learn my lesson with that one with the Badgers last week. Um but just kind of looking at the early parts of the season here, if you will, um, I guess what are you expecting to see out of this team as we kind of go along? Sure. Well, you know, when I look at you know the first you know quadrant of the season, right? So the first four games, really the thing, and you know we touched on it a little bit was the unknowns with the Packers' offensive line. And you look at you know they play the Saints, Lions, Niners, and Steelers. Well. You know, they're going against Cam Jordan, uh, Marcus Davenport, uh, Carl Granderson in week one. Uh, obviously, the Lions are a little young and inexperienced up front defensively. But then you go to San Francisco and you're facing Armstead and D Ford and Bosa's back and Kinlaw. Uh, and you got Warner and Greenlaw at the second level. And you go to the Steelers and you're going up against, you know, Watt. And, you know, you're facing very high quality pass rushers right off the bat uh, in those first four games. So, you know, having uncertainty, I guess is probably the right word at offensive line going into it, looking at those four games. I mean, that's definitely a little concerning for sure, because you're facing some really quality pass rushers and you're facing some really smart defensive coordinators too. I mean, Dennis Allen in new Orleans, right off the bat, he's really creative on, you know, twist games that he runs up front with his lineman. I mean, he can create pressure by only bringing four with just the different twist game and bring stunts from linebacker level as well. But, um, you know, that's kind of the, the thing that I looked at, you know, right off the bat at the start of the season was just how is this Packers offensive line with the unknowns that you have up front? Are they going to be able to, um, maintain and keep Aaron Rodgers clean and be able to create holes for Jones and Dylan to run through. Um, that's definitely a big question mark right off the bat. But um, you know, other than that, I think you know, the Packers offensively can score with anyone in the league. Obviously you saw they were the highest scoring offense in the league last year. Um, but you know, that offensive line is, is really the thing that I look at at the first part of the season is just, are they going to be able to hold up, um, through those first four games against that quality of defensive lines? Yeah, definitely. And then I, you know, I don't want to hold you to a prediction here again. Like I said, just like I said, it went so bad for us last week talking about the Badgers. I, you know, I think I had them going like eight and one or, or 11 and one, uh, in the regular season or 10 and one, whatever it comes out to. And then, uh, then last week happens, but I guess ceiling basement for this team, where are you at with the Packers 
as of this point before week one? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've I've had a you know a couple of conversations with people about this is, you know, on paper, which you know, everything always looks better on paper than it actually is, it seems like, but on paper, I think it's a more talented team than they had last year. Um, you know, I think they obviously added weapons offensively, you know, that third running back position, couple slot, actual true slot receivers that you did not have last year um, are obviously offensively are big additions and you have pretty much everything coming back. Obviously the, like I said, and I don't want to, you know, keep banging this drum, but the offensive line is quite a bit different than it has been. Obviously Bakhtiari being out is a big contributor to that, but you know, I don't think there's any reason why this team couldn't be the highest scoring offense in the league. Again, I think you have even a, another additional year in the system now, and you know, you're continuing to add different things to the offense. You're continuing to refine different things in the offense. So from a you know offensive perspective, like I said, I don't think there's any reason they couldn't score the most points in the league again and put up a ton of yards. Like I don't see any reasons why they couldn't do that. And then, you know, defensively, I think really the same thing. I think they're, you know, the pretty much the same core on the defensive line is is back. And as we talked about, you know, you added Slayton in the draft you brought in Campbell and free agency, you know, that group I think is better than it was last year. And then secondary, you have the same group back added Stokes in the draft. So, I mean, the, the core, like I said, way earlier in the episode, the core has kind of been here and it's been good. It was just kind of those subtle little pieces in different areas of the team. And, you know, they did different things via draft and via free agency to bring different people into those positions. And now it's kind of just seeing what they can do and if they're an improvement over what they previously had. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out as we go here on you know, what guys are capable of and maybe what their deficiencies are. But, um, you know, with obviously it's gonna be hard to know with the new defensive coordinator, new system. It's obviously a lot of it's dependent on how he calls the game, how aggressive he is from a, a blitz standpoint, from a coverage standpoint, all those different things. But uh, I honestly, I think the sky is the limit with this team. And obviously, you know, if you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, you're going to be in Super Bowl contention every single year. Definitely. And, you know, we talked so much Packer football and, and this is not to forget, I mean, Really, I mean, if you really think about it, your your true love with the scouting element, college football is underway now too. And I mean, we saw just one hell of an opening weekend. We saw Mackenzie Milton come back. We saw you know the Badgers unfortunately take one on the chin at Camp Randall. We saw you know just so many different storylines between you know the list goes on. One hell of a game, mm-hmm. even kind of going on right now. Ole Miss, Louisville. We saw. Um, too late, almost knock off Oklahoma. I mean, really, football's back, Mason. How great is that? Yeah, it's awesome, and, and I'm glad you brought up Mackenzie Milton because uh, last night that was just awesome to see. Um, for the listeners that may not know, he was a quarterback. He's a quarterback at Florida State now, and he was quarterback for uh, UCF, so Central Florida. And this was 
you know, when Scott Frost was still there and they were winning, you know, 13, they were going 13 and oh and winning a lot of games and stuff. And he absolutely shattered his knee and I'm not going to remember all the specifics, but it was, I, I looked it up. It was a dislocated knee. It was losing, you know, flow to arteries and, and veins. And it was to the point where they had to like take a vein out of his left leg just to restore blood flow in the right leg because he was almost going to lose his leg amputation stuff, you know, have to get it amputated because the the damage to his his arteries and his uh, his nerves. Right. Yeah, it was it was a horrible injury. And then I think there were ligament stuff on top of that, too, if I'm not mistaken, like ACL and PCL. All I mean, it was it was horrible injury, especially to a guy who I mean, UCF, they scored a lot of points. They put up a lot of yards when he was there. And so national champions. Uh, 20. <laughs> yeah. Quite, yeah. The, the self <laughs> your own championship trophy, national champions. Um, but yeah, like he, he comes in the game last night for Florida state and, you know, doctors said it'd be a miracle if he ever is, can even practice again, let alone play. And, um, sure enough, he comes in the game and leads a couple of touchdown drives and, uh, field goal drive there at the end, a tie, it goes into overtime. And, you know, unfortunately they missed that field. Goal. I was at that point, you know, you just kind of had to pull for him. I mean, um, you know, they unfortunately missed that field goal in OT and lost in Notre Dame, but it, that was, that was probably the best story of the weekend. You know, he hits that little shuffle pass. He hits that deep ball down the sideline. I mean, he, he played a really good game for a guy who, you know, hasn't gotten a ton of practice time, even obviously he hasn't played in two years, but um, he was just pretty recently cleared to practice too. He hasn't been practicing for too long. And so to come into a big game like that against a top 10 team and, uh, you know, they were down 18 pretty late in the game and, to, you know, tie it, send it to overtime. That was definitely the, the feel good story of the, of the opening weekend of college ball. I wish it would have turned out a little bit different, but that was awesome to see. Yeah. Anything else you want to, you want to hit on here, Mason? While you got the mic? Oh no, man. I just, uh, I appreciate you having me on. It's always good talking ball. Um, you know, obviously like I said early in the episode, it's hard to believe that, you know, we're back to another Packer season already. They, uh, they always fly by way too fast. So definitely have to savor this one. Um, obviously the salary cap situation and contract situations, uh, whole, you know, Aaron Rodgers situation is kind of unknown, uh, beyond this year, as far as guys that we may not see in green and gold after this year. So, um, definitely have to savor every single moment of every single game this year. And, um, just hope as, as everyone does around the league and around the world that love athletics, just hope for no big injuries. That's something that, you know, the Packers have been, you know, fortunate of in the past couple of years, they've been really bitten by it in years past where they've had, you know, 15, 20 guys on IR, but, you know, hopefully just, uh, hope and pray for a healthy football season from, from everybody. Any ways we can, uh, anything we can expect from Mason coming out through the, through the season, any content you're going to be putting out here? Yeah, I, I haven't, uh, haven't fully decided on anything at this point. Um, you know, in the, in the past, uh, I usually post a video as far as just breaking down some plays from the previous week's game and things like that kind of explain some things that are going on from a concept perspective out on the field and maybe give 
certain people, uh, you know, a behind the scenes look or that scouting eye, um, you know, things that you look for when you watch tape. So, um, there's a pretty good, you know, chance that I'll do that. Cause I always like, you know, talking ball and, um, you know, getting thoughts and comments from, from people that, you know, their opinions and how they view things. So, um, there's probably a good chance that I'll be doing that this season. So, uh, more than likely, you'll, more than likely you'll be hearing from me in, in some way or another. Well, that's great to hear. We can't wait to have you back on throughout the season and, and really definitely, you know, if you do put that stuff out, you know, we'll have our, put it on our Facebook and Twitter pages here too. So can't wait to see it. Thanks so much again for coming on, you know, happy birthday last week. I know we got to have you on this week and really just enjoy the season for you too, man. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's always good talking about with you, man. Awesome stuff. Mason Sprangers, everybody. Thanks again for joining us. All right. Once again, thanks to Mason for joining us. And just, I know you're going to hear this um, in real time when the episode drops on Wednesday. So I'm not going to give anything away from what he had said, but just some great in-depth knowledge and, and really so glad he, he decides to be part of our show. I'm, I'm just, I'm disappointed. I didn't get to, to, get into the conversation with Mason. Uh, but, you know, he is such a great guest for us and, and all the time. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's top notch. And uh, so disappointed I didn't get to, to sit in on the conversation, but uh, thankful that he spends his time with us. He's a, a resident uh, Packers guru, uh, draft guru. He's our guy. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear it. And uh, I would like to say thanks, Mason, for taking the time to uh, to come on the show. So I guess with that, let's wrap it up. Put a bow on this thing, episode 39. Let's wrap up here in the books. What we conclude the episode off with, what we always conclude with, is what we are going to root for this upcoming week. And Justin, why don't you start it off for us? Well, this is simple for me. For the next 11, 12 weeks, it's always going to be the Badgers, right? It's... This is my team. This is, uh, I told you guys how many times in, in, in my life, uh, this is my top notch. Uh, the Badgers are very heavy on my, my heart and, and how much I love them. So every week it's going to be the Badgers. So if I jump out, uh, and jump out of uh, turn here, I guess I will go with uh, the Brewers, you know, just keep, you know, I think it's what, what is it? 11 games as of today, 11 games so, as uh, of today in the lead. In their magic numbers, what, 14 14 or prior like to action today on the 7th. Actually, I take that. I believe it's 15. My apologies. Yeah. So, um, you know, if they if they keep, I, I'm just praying they keep going and this thing seriously fast and and without worries, and then we can start resting guys and, and uh, you know, not really, you know, limp into the uh, postseason and kind of go in hot and fresh arms with our top three guys. So. Excited for that. Yeah, and really, I mean, if we're being honest, Justin, top four guys, I mean, Adrian Hauser, I mean, I personally speaking, I always give Adrian Hauser probably more flack than I should. For the reason being that, so I don't know if you if you had paid attention to this, but Saturday night, he threw his best performance as a, as a pitcher he's ever had. He had a complete game shutout, which was the first one, I believe, since 2000, I want to say 2008, where there was a complete game shutout from a Brewers pitcher. Um, it's been a long time. First complete game really since 2018, and then even longer since a complete game shutout. So good stuff there. So if if he can even be right, I mean, you got four solid guys who can kind of go out and do it. 
Uh, Adrian Hauser not on the level of consistency that Peralta, Burns, and Woodruff have had all year, but there's flashes of it, and that's why he's so infuriating, but also so that's why you keep him around. So uh, with that, I'm going to be paying attention, you know, as I have been, you know, should be a pretty, I'm not going to say easy win for the Badgers, but you would certainly hope so. Uh, the Brewers have a, you know, three-game set here with Philadelphia. They'll take a day off on Thursday, and then they travel to Cleveland to play the Cleveland Indians, who right now are kind of falling out of things in the or American League Central. They're 68 and 67. Um, they are currently in the division race anyway. For Anton's purposes, just as far out of it as, as the Reds are. They're 10 game back of the White Sox. As for that American League wildcard position, though, um, really a lot of work that they'd have to do there, eight and a half. But, you know, just a very good team, too. You can't overlook them. So that's where my eyes will be. Paying attention to the Brewers taking on the Phillies and the Indians. So with that, any parting thoughts here for the episode, Justin? Nope. That's it. All right. I just tried to say it. Now I'm out. That's it. Salute. Good stuff. Good stuff. Episode 39 is in the books. This is the Roof of Wisconsin show. Eric Fisher, Justin Dahl this week. No Ramsey Townsend. He'll be back next week. We are out. See ya.